Hey everyone, it's good to see you for another episode of Escaping Rock Bottom, the podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Lee. Uh, for those of you who are watching, you can see I've got an awesome guest with me today. Her name is Michelle. For those of you who are listening in your car or just listening to the podcast um, at home on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, welcome to the podcast. Um, you're going to hear from this amazing guest coming up in just a moment, who I just met a couple of weeks ago through service work. So somebody I had on my podcast, uh, Andrew... Um, said, hey, why don't you come speak at one of these recovery meetings? Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay. I've always been told you say yes, yes. when somebody asks you to do Absolutely. something in recovery. I said yes. I shared a little bit about my story at this meeting, and I met Michelle. Mm. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank um, you. I just I love being able to. One of the things I love about sobriety mm -hmm. is that you get to meet some really interesting people Absolutely. with incredible backstories who've gone through a lot, but have some experience, strength, and hope to share with those who are still struggling. And so I know if you're struggling out there, you're going to get a lot from this story. I'm super excited to hear more about Michelle's story as well. Thank you. Michelle, take me back to, take me back kind of to day one. What was your life like when you were out there using? What were your drugs of choice? What got started for you? I mean, day one, as far as when I started using, I started using very young. I, I started using, I was 10 years old. My dad died in a tragic car accident and my mom remarried and they she the man she married had two daughters and they were both drug addicts and i don't know why or how it even came up but she had handed me a, a, what she told me was a french cigarette and it was a, a, it was weed and i started smoking when i was about 10 11ish and i i realized at that time that i could shut down my feelings from a, an outside source and subconsciously that's how I began and I really I the correlation between feelings not wanting to feel and taking drugs became very real for me even at that young of an age but again it was it was something you know that clicked subconsciously in my brain and I got introduced to a lot of drugs when I was younger I was in you know around during the quaalude cocaine era um, I lived with a Colombian smuggler for many years. I worked in the garment industry in the 80s. It was just tons of cocaine. And, um, you know, and I met this man, and I was Colombian smuggler girlfriend at night, and I was, you know, garment center, very, very successful. I had my own showroom, and I did very, very well. And I was very function, you know, like I was truly a functioning addict for many years, and eventually the drugs stopped working. I want to talk a little bit. There's a lot to unpack just in that. My goodness. A lot of people ask me, mm -hmm. Brandon, how did you start using drugs at age 14 or 15? And, and mine was cocaine at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you talked about that numbness, mm -hmm. that, that ability to escape, that mm -hmm. feeling of escape. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I have a little dog who wants a treat very bad. He's a little, he's a little addict too. And this is manipulation, knowing he'll get a treat from me. A if dog I, manipulation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. So <laughs> I, I, I have to apologize for him. No problem. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the trauma. So people ask me mm -hmm. all the time, Brandon, mm -hmm. why did you escape? And I always say for me, it started with traumas as a child. Mm -hmm. So I was molested mm -hmm. um, multiple times as a child. Mm -hmm. And when I felt that first chance to escape, that right. numbness feeling, right. I wanted more of it. Right. 
because I didn't want to live with the reality of knowing the trauma of being molested and being violated. And you spoke about that escapism and the tragedy of losing your father at such a young age. When you eventually started to grow up, you were talking about being in the garment industry and, Mm -hmm. um, and how there was a lot of rampant drug use around that. Mm -hmm. How on earth did you end up with some dude in a cartel? So, so I, I worked in the garment industry. I was in, in a building off Broadway. I was in the elevator and he was in the elevator and he started talking to me. I told him where I worked. I worked at a very, very popular company at the time. And one day I, he walked into my showroom and we started talking and I was already doing lots of cocaine. He told me he was Colombian and I said, wow, you know, the, the, that brought him... You know, I, I opened up the door, and he had a big bag of cocaine in his pocket. And that was it. I mean, literally, that was it. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know he was married and had two kids. Um, we were together for several years before I, I realized that. And he actually is, he left his wife, and we lived together for 10 years in New York. What was that like, living with somebody... In the Colombian drug cartel. What on earth was that like? Were you scared ever? Never. You were never, never scared? Never. And, I, and my mom, my mother, who was Because that's pretty aware, scary. It was it, looking back. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, but when you're doing drugs... You think you're you invincible. Do, you don't even realize... Like I literally, you know, I, I can remember going to the airport to pick up what would be a load and that person not coming off the plane and, and knowing that he had gotten arrested on the other side... And, you know, thinking to myself, like, just being devastated for that, not realizing, like, okay, they're going to be looking for someone on this side. I better, but they weren't looking for a nice Jewish girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I had done a lot of several different things that, to this day, when I look back, I say to myself, what really was I thinking? And even my mother would say to me, how did you meet these people? Like, it was just devastating to my mother to see me running around South America and being with these very, you know, difficult, uh, it was difficult for her to see very, very dangerous people. What was it like for you when your mom saw the real you and what you were up to? Again, you know, when you're in the thick of drug addiction and, and you're using as that capacity, you don't care. You really just Even don't care. No, I absolutely wasn't. never did. You the know? reason I say that is because I, when I was um, hospitalized twice, I, I toward the end of my mm-hmm. era, yeah, and my yeah. rock bottom was yeah. right here in Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood Presbyterian. Yeah. I overdosed, was in a coma twice within a week mm-hmm. on my deathbed, yeah. um, brought back to life. Yeah. And they asked me, and the doctor said, we need to call your family. Mm-hmm. And I lied, and I mm-hmm. said, I don't have family. Mm-hmm. Because to me, mm-hmm. if my parents would have come to the hospital mm-hmm. and seen me in that coma, mm-hmm. or seen me hooked up to all those monitors and machines, the game would have been over. The gig would have been up, because mm-hmm. I was living what I thought was the best double life possible. Mm-hmm. So as long as nobody too close to me knew the real me, mm-hmm. I was able to keep using. So it's interesting that your mom was able to see you in your active use with this and, drug cartel guy, mm-hmm. and you still didn't care. And I honestly, Brandon, just even you know hearing your story, it, it makes me it pulls on my heart because there's been more times than just my mother seeing what I, I was doing and who I was with and. 
you know, also I had overdosed several times. I started overdosing. I started using heroin mm-hmm. and, and I, to, to balance the cocaine habit and then eventually started overdosing. And I could remember as young as 23. And I remember exactly I was 23. I overdosed. I had liver failure, kidney failure, a liquid in my lungs, pancreatitis. They were testing my family for both a liver and a kidney. And because I had total organs shut down. So my mother, who lived in Long Island, they called and said to my mother, please hurry to the hospital. And my mother, who couldn't even drive, had to take a cab from where we lived in Long Island to Manhattan. My mom was that mother who never left any rock unturned, and she sent me to the finest treatment centers for years to help me get sober. I went to Hazleton. I stayed out there for 16 months. I went to Eric Clapton's in Antigua. I could go on and on and on. You know, I wasn't until, that was at 23 when I was starting to overdose, and when my life hadn't even unraveled, I was still maintaining my business, which was very successful, and still able to be this other person when necessary that I was living with this Colombian. It wasn't until about 28 where I started to not show up for work and I started the, the drugs started to really take a toll and the overdoses and the, the lifestyle was wearing on me and he got arrested. So I could no longer get drugs from him. He was in Colombia and he, he got a very long, big sentence so I eventually, uh, at 30 years old, got sober and stayed sober for 11 years. Do you think that, um, do you think that, that was a huge blessing for you it to was. break free from him, Absolutely. break free from that, that Colombian drug lord? Uh-huh. Him thrown in jail gave you almost a pass to go get clean. It was, it came from a higher place. You know, we learned that in the program. Nothing happens, you know, in our world by mistake, you know. And and today he's extradited, so he can't even come to the United States. That's a blessing for me. Not to say that, you know, listen, he's not the story I am, but, you know, God bless his his journey and his path. But for me, it's, it's, better it's that the he can't best come here thing to the US. not to be able to have... <laughs> That kind of um, access How to that time amount of do drugs. You have now? Right now, I have ten months, so I've had time a couple so of times. Right, so you have ten months clean now. Yes, but take me back because how much time did you have strung together before you relapsed? So I had eleven years. I was two weeks short of eleven years, and it, and working a very strong program of recovery in uh, a different fellowship that I'm in now, Narcotics Anonymous, mm-hmm. and. In Miami, and I had a big life. You know, I had a jewelry company. I had two stores. I was very successful. I had all the bells and whistles. I lived on the ocean. You know, I I I, I drove a Porsche. I had everything on the outside that anyone would look. I traveled all over the world. I did great things. And inside, I was still in a lot of pain. Even though I had been through the twelve steps many times, I sponsored a lot of girl, a lot of girls, and you know, worked a a very strong program, there was some pain still left over that I wasn't, I hadn't dealt with that came up after I I got what's called a resentment. And I want to, we say in the program, the one thing that will take us back out is resentment. If we don't work through those resentments, 
working the four steps, the written work, those are the things that usually will come back to haunt us. So I always Absolutely. tell people, when you start feeling feelings of resentment towards quite a few people, time to check inward. Absolutely. Time to check inward and Absolutely. open your mouth. And I, what I love about your story, and not that I love the fact that you relapsed after 11 it's years. It's part of my story. But it is part of your story, and that mm-hmm. story is a great lesson for other people. Mm-hmm. Because what I, what I love to tell people, it doesn't matter how much time in recovery you have, it's the quality of time of sobriety. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of people will say, God, how do, you almost had 11 years. Like, how does that even possibly happen? And what I want to talk about is the shame and the stigma that still exists in our society today mm-hmm. prevents people, even like you mm-hmm. and me, mm-hmm. with a lot of time, we've had a lot of time in recovery, that if I'm struggling... I might be afraid to tell people I'm struggling because I don't want them to think less of me. Well, that's part of my what happened. Ego. I mean, it's it's all mm-hmm. ego, and 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 that is something that when you say you're sorry about my relapse, I'm not sorry because I've learned so much from that part of my uh, my journey, my process that I have a different kind of recovery now. You know where I. What I realize in, in when you have a resentment, it cuts you off from the the, the sunlight of the spirit, as we say, you know, and 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 yeah, that, that being connection to the our connection, power. because the anger, the resentment, the hurt, the sadness, it it it, it stops us from from going to that higher place. You know what where, I tell you, and you know that's a beautiful point because you know what I tell people: the only thing mm-hmm. that keeps me from picking up a crack pipe or yeah, another drink absolutely is my spiritual connection to my higher power. A hundred percent. It's not the meetings. It's not this. It is it's, my spiritual absolutely. connection. And you're absolutely I'm right. Here to tell you. Those resentments absolutely disconnect start to cause disconnection. It's, it's almost like it's, a bad cable line. Exactly. And your phone starts cutting out Exactly. and you're like, yo, higher yep. power. I need yep. help. Wait, yep. it's I'm cutting out because we haven't worked through right. some of those things. Right. So Beautiful so lesson. I even I, I I shared earlier today in this morning I, I that you know I my what I have that connection right now is a different connection because of that experience because I have to make sure that I'm spiritually fit like how we say again these are all things that we learn you know in in in, in the textbook that we study that you know if we're not it's contingent on the daily maintenance so every day. We, today I couldn't stay clean on yesterday's shower, right? That's what we say. And so I need to always make sure I'm checked in, I'm dialed in, I'm elevated. So even if I'm not, you know, um, sometimes it doesn't even come from program. You know, I study the Kabbalah. I, I go tonight actually. Um, I, you know, I, I do th- I do yoga every day. I did that before you came. I was at a class on hot yoga. For me, that's, it's, it's, that's where I dial in. And I need to continuously dial in as well as help someone else because that's all coming from that higher connection, that higher place. And that higher frequency, as we, as you know, as it is. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. When you, when you, um, when you relapsed, mm-hmm. how long were you out? You had about almost eleven years. Mm-hmm. You relapsed. How long were you out? I was out five years, and you brought up guilt and shame. I five stayed out. Years. Okay, so I stayed out on guilt and shame. I stayed out. See, ego almost killed me. Pride and ego almost killed me because, um, for me, I. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get to that place of being new again. I couldn't, 
deal with what I had, you know, the, the, I got divorced. I brought my ex-husband through court. I really, I really caused a big mess. I totaled a bunch of cars. I, 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 I ended up, I really, my disease went now to the next level. So they always say and you pick up right where you left off and, and oftentimes then, even worse. And I, and I left off bad. So, you know, and, and I always heard the, the another thing that I always heard from um, a man in the rooms in Miami, he always said, my disease is outside doing push-ups. And I always didn't really get, I was like, what does that mean? You know, and because it's when you're clean and sober, you don't think that it's progressive as you're clean and sober still. And that was what happened because it actually, as much as I kept working every day on my spiritual connection, it didn't mean that, that when I picked up those things were gone. They were just gone. And so, you know, I, I have a lot to say about guilt and shame. I, I do share with the people that I, I work with now that it's, it's a, it's a non, it doesn't serve us. It's an emotion. It's, it, that does not serve us. It, it, it does keep us sick. And it kept me sick for a long time because I, I felt like I felt very, I felt humiliated. I stayed out on humiliation. Did you know that that is a, being totally honest? that that is one of my biggest fears Mm -hmm. is that I always, first off, anytime I'm in a meeting and somebody says that they're coming in off a relapse, I go and give them a hug after the meeting and I say, thank you for coming back. Yeah, me too. Because a, they're the reason I stay sober because they're the reminder of what my life can be if I don't Mm -hmm. focus and if I don't stay to the program. And the other thing I always ask them is, Tell me what it was like. Yeah. Because I have never met anybody who has relapsed. Never. Come back to the rooms and ever said how amazing never. the high was. Never. Or that my life's so good or, you know, or my relationship, anything. But, but, I, but, they, but here's the thing mm-hmm. is that I'm afraid that I wouldn't have, that my ego would be too big, that I'd be so prideful that I would not be able to come back into the rooms and pick up another white chip. Okay, and on the other side of the coin, um, and when you said how you give someone a hug, when I when someone tells me they're just coming back, I love them up because we feel so. I felt so horrible, right? And I felt, and I, and because we have this disease of perception, I felt so judged. I felt like people were thinking I was, you know, this bad girl, you know, whatever. Because I have that bad girl Why syndrome. Why do we always feel and, like? I always say was, God's punishing me. Yeah, if something bad, I'm like, I must have bad karma. God is yeah, punishing me. That's, that's such so not addict true. behavior. So, and but 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 our, our, because it's it centers in our mind, right? So it tells us things that aren't true in our own voice. So of course we believe it. But the bottom line is, is that you know what what the ultimate? I think the ultimate thing that addicts need the most is love. And when we come in beat up, beaten down, torn up torn down we don't think we're lovable and and we feel so terrible about ourselves so when you say you give them a hug i just you know that's why my husband and i do what we do because we want and we are we have love everywhere all we we i I mentioned that we help you know people get sober and people stay sober we have homes and we have the word love everywhere 
because we believe that this is what it's about. It's about love. People just want to be loved. They need to be loved. They need to feel loved. And so that person that just walks in, we need to love that person. And I say, when I was at my very first meeting in, in Hollywood, I was fresh out of the hospital and went to that first meeting. Yeah. And they called my ticket number to go up and share at the oh, end of the yeah. meeting. They, they picked the one number. number. Yeah. And um, and I went up there, and it was my first AA meeting, so I didn't know the procedures or anything like right. that. I just got up there and started right. crying and yeah. said, I'm... My name's Brandon. I'm fucked up and yeah. I'm about to die if I don't get help. That's, and there was a line of people at the end of that meeting. And these folks to this day, first off, I'm friends with five of the guys who gave so, me hugs that, on that so first special. day almost 10 years ago. That's amazing. But what I tell people is those guys, those people who lined up after the meeting and hugged me and told me, you are the most important person in this room today. Thank you for it's being everything. here. They Everything. loved me Everything. when I was incapable of loving, of loving myself. And, you know, that's why someone told me when I first came in, let us love you till you can love yourself. And, and I didn't even know the power that that one sentence would have in my life because it's true that they did love me till I can love myself. And, and... You know, one of the things, having relapsed now, and, and having relapsed is a huge part of my story. I don't call myself a chronic relapser because I believe that's a label I don't want to, you know, buy into. Uh, I, 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 but I, I, I can tell progress, you, progress, I can, I can tell you, because I used to call myself that, and I don't want to define myself as that. But so I need to just always say that. But the truth is, is having had so much experience with relapse, I know what it's, how, how, or every time I had gone out and couldn't come back, because one of the things that I recognize is that when you've had time, it's very hard to come back because of pride and ego. Yes. Because of pride and ego. You won't hear of a lot of people with time that make it back. No, I know. That it's, Usually it's, the guys that come back, they usually got like six months, they relapse, they can come back. And it's, I think, a little easier. It is. It's very them. much easier. But uh, you, you start to get a decade of sobriety. People start to... Look up to you, right? Start to you know you even in the room. Sponsored all these people. You're on the motivational speaking right, circuit. Right, like right. I travel to you know speak at conferences, right? And share your story, right? And then, but that's the scary part about it, and that's where I feel like sometimes you need a reality check to really, really pull yourself back and ground yourself Absolutely. to realize you are no different than the person who walked in on their first day. Absolutely, Absolutely. I'm just as close as any person you know, that just came back and, and any given day, you know, I, um, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how, how strongly I feel about that. And I don't take that for granted and I don't get arrogant ever, ever. There's never a day that I don't know that I'm just as capable and that I need to work even that much harder because I've, I've, I've suffered and, and struggled as much as I have. And, and the truth is, 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 you know, listen, this is a disease that's cunning, baffling, and powerful. There is nothing Ever in my life, I'm telling you, when I was younger, I come from a very privileged background. I, everything came so easy to me. I graduated high school two years early. I had the boyfriend that I always wanted. I was very, I didn't have that like, oh, I'm less than feeling it growing up. I had that in recovery. Wow. Yeah. So my alcoholism really didn't show up because I started getting high so young, you know, so I really didn't experience those, you know, those feelings. But my point is, is that this is the only thing that I had to, that it was hard for me. Recovery was the, staying sober is the only thing that I had to work extremely hard for. And I still wasn't able to do it perfectly. But the truth is, is it's not something we do perfectly. And yes, we do fall. But the key is, is to, to, 
to come back. And we always say it is progress. Not it is progress, progress and it is not perfect, perfection. perfection. Absolutely not. There is no such thing. No, there is no such thing. And the other thing too, um, what I really want people to understand is that just because you had nearly 11 years mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that experience went away when you came back. No, it doesn't mean that. And I always like to say that to someone who's gone out with time. Um, I always, I always mention that, you know, that, you know, I, I try and soften the blow by saying you are only changing your sobriety date. I will say though, that when you do go out, you do lose that spiritual connection. You do things that aren't spiritual you take a toll on on your, but the seed. But has the, been but all the information's there. The experience, you know. And you know that help is out there, and there's yeah. a pathway. Oh, absolutely. To a there's a solution. Life. There's a solution. There's there. a solution. You just have to That's be willing to. That's the hardest it. part yeah. because once you know that, you can't go out and use. So successfully, I, I always you say know that. what I, I mean. I always because wondered you, that, and this is the reason. Yeah. Okay, first off, this is the reason why I love people who relapse and come back in because I relapse never has to be part of your story. No, it, absolutely not. It I, never has I, to be part of your story. Absolutely, but it's because people like you come back and share what mm-hmm. the experience was like, and I take you at your word for it. Mm-hmm. Here's what people tell me when they relapse because I always ask, like, "What was it like?" Right? Because listen. 10 years into this program, I still got fantasies. Mm-hmm. Those using fantasies, they come in. I'm able to dismiss them, but mm-hmm. it's not like the fantasies go away. Well, we're, we're not and, responsible for our thoughts. Right. And so I asked people like you and I ask other people, okay, so when you went back to your drug, like what was that high like? And you know what people tell me? They're like, it was terrible because I have AA in my brain. Exactly. I have 12 step in my brain. And the moment I got high, I started feeling guilty. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, again, they, you know, the expression, you, you know, uh, a head full of AA and a belly full of booze. Yeah. That's the, you know, that's a nightmare of all nightmares. And, 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 you know, you, you know that you, you know, there's a solution, you know, that there's a, there's some, there's, you know, there's help and you know that, you you've been sober before, so you, you know that it's possible, and um, that eats at you because when we get that, if you're an addict like I'm an addict, we have the allergy, and the the allergy means that when we put some a substance in, we can't stop. So once that happens, and so the worst, worst, worst feeling that I've ever felt of all my feelings, and I felt a lot of feelings, thank God, is that feeling of of wanting to stop and not being able to and 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 wanting to stop and 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 saying i'm going to stop and not stopping and and knowing that you can go and get help and ask for help and go to a program or go to meeting you know or or there's so many different things you can do but you the drug becomes that important and it's just it's it's that louder voice that louder voice until our, we get some recovery that's stronger than our disease so we can listen to that softer voice that tells us, you know, there's always hope. What's your life like today? Aw. I, I mean, I have to be honest with you. I, I, I've had some, some real tough times, and, and, but my life today is amazing. Amazing, 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 amazing. And, and I'm, I feel extremely blessed, and, and there's not a day... There's very few moments that I don't recognize that and, and don't acknowledge that because of how much I've suffered and how bad I've, it's been and that I do know that I'm on borrowed time. I do know that really if life was fair, I would be dead. There's, I've, I've died many. I died on Pico, the, you know, not uh, 
I, on a on a run, I, I had gotten some fentanyl, and they found me dead at Flatline. They they gave me Narcan, three shots of Narcan. I didn't come back, and I woke up on a ventilator. And um, so I know God has a purpose for me. I don't take that lightly either. And um, I, I'm married to a man who also has had a similar life, very different, but but painful. And we both. Uh, have devoted our lives to helping other alcoholics and addicts and we have a very we have a purpose and that's what this life has given me a purpose i love that i love that message and as Mm -hmm. we kind of begin to wrap up this Mm -hmm. this edition of this podcast you know the purpose of me writing a book um that comes out pre-sale this week it's it's an exciting time but the purpose of me putting my story out there and writing a book was to break my own anonymity Mm -hmm. okay was to break my own anonymity knowing that there are so many other people millions of people out there who are desperate to find a solution who will never find recovery rooms okay that's just the i know that that's the fact and so whatever way i can reach them whether it's through a book whether it's through this podcast is that I want people to know that there is hope, that that you can build an amazing life for yourself. But my main mission is to end the stigma Mm. that comes with addiction. That stigma, it is powerful. That stigma drives people to relapse. It also drives people to never come back and ask for help. Yes, absolutely. And if you can, that's the thing. If, if, if we could even touch one person, you know, that's, that's, that's that's the gift, you know. That's the, but God gave us God this. God saved problem. you. God saved me, from and, over, and oh, yeah, God saved, saved me you from a and, coma. Yeah, you know, two comas yes. in a week. Yes, because oh, as you said, God had a bigger purpose for right. you, and that's why people are like Brandon. You saying and exposing everything may you may never get another job in news again. Nobody will ever hire you again. And you know what I say to that? You know what? What do I say to God? When I meet my creator or I meet my higher power one day when I pass away and my higher mm. power says, Brandon, I saved you so many times mm-hmm. for you to, to stand up, stand in your truth and spread this message and save other people's lives. What do I say back to that if I was like, oh, sorry, I was more concerned about getting another job in news mm-hmm. or, you know, I was worried about my career. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, God saved me so I can help save others. Right. And, and you know, the, and, and it's beautiful that you recognize that because... That's the gift that we get as as addicts, because we don't see that when we first, you know, no, yeah, we don't see that. We don't see that this is actually a gift because we have, you know, that God saved us from this horrible life and or disease to be able to help other people and spread the message, and that 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 God picked us. We are the chosen people. Because we, God must have really believed in us to give us this kind of life to be able to pass on a a higher message, a a, a powerful message that this is possible. It's possible to stay clean and sober. It's possible to have a great life. It's possible to have hope, to give hope, you know, and that's, that to me, honestly, that's everything right there. Everything. Everything. Aww. I just I love your message. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank I you love for your message. Me. I love your energy and I love thank your you. spirit. Thank you so um, much. Thank, thank you, you so much for for tuning into this podcast, Escaping Rock Bottom. Uh, check it out on Spotify, Google Play, and uh, and stay connected. Ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're struggling, just tell a friend. Tell somebody 
because that will take the weight of that shame, of that guilt, or whatever it is that's bothering you. It'll help lift some of that so you don't choose drugs as your escape. Because as you just heard from both of our stories, numbing yourself will lead you to death. It just will. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here uh, next Tuesday.